0: This podcast from Jubilee Church Derby, a church family looking to make a difference across the city of Derby and beyond. This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. So as I was... um... Just in worship earlier, it was great to hear from Paul as he brought that word. If he'd kept going much longer, he would have got through all of my notes. So I'm <laughs> glad you stopped when you did he left me something to say. But isn't it good for those of you who have ever spoken, you think, ah, God seems to be putting his finger on something. And I certainly felt that. That certainly resonated uh, as you shared. And we'll see from Scripture in a moment that actually um, God is speaking to us about some of these things today. So if you've got a Bible with you, if you could turn please to Acts chapter 5. We're working our way through the book of Acts at the moment. And um, last week we looked at the first part of Acts 5. So if you've got a Bible, you might want to have it open in front of you. Turn, click, scroll or find the page. Last week we talked about the uh, account that Luke records for us of Ananias and Sapphira right at the beginning of Acts chapter 5. There, Dave Perry and I were talking about it after the meeting, and and we were saying, actually, what happened to Ananias and Sapphira was God's ultimate discipline of them because uh, they'd been disobedient to him. But you know what? If they were saved, and we've got no reason to believe they weren't, and they didn't lose their salvation. They're in heaven now. And I'm guessing there's Christians from all across time that have read this passage and thought, you know what, I'd like to ask them, why do you do that? And maybe we will get an opportunity one day. Or maybe, you know what, when we see the Lord, it won't be so important to us anyway. I suspect that's probably more likely the case. It may have been that they lost some of their reward because the Bible talks about Uh, Jesus giving reward um, for faithfulness and and obedience to him. and That may have been the case, but they certainly didn't lose their salvation. I guess the reality is that all of us are susceptible to temptation and to sin. None of us can say with 100% accuracy, I'll never do that. Because actually we don't know. So listen, don't, don't, don't read the passage and go, well, I would never do that. That wouldn't be me. Actually, better to read the passage and go, but by God's grace and, uh, and his goodness to us. All of us are vulnerable to different things. And so whatever your area of vulnerability might be, bring it to the Lord. Ask him to be faithful with you in it. Stay accountable to godly friends. Be open to the Lord and grow in your relationship with Jesus. So that's what we looked at last week. Uh, this week we move on. We're looking at the next few verses in Acts chapter 5. So we'll start by reading verses 12 through to 16 together, and then we'll probably read a little bit more if we've got time as well. So verse 12. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's Colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed." Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for what you're saying to us already this morning. And we pray now, God, that as we read these verses, consider this this morning, that, God, you would speak to us by your Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you give us open hearts to hear from heaven this morning. Come and apply your word to us. We ask it, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So what we read of here in verse 12 is, I guess, a time of the miraculous, isn't it? Miracles abound. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. Lots of healing, lots of signs, lots of wonders, lots of salvation. The church is growing, the kingdom of God is advancing. And all the believers are meeting together regularly. The scripture tells us that. I find it fascinating in, in verse 13 it says "But no one else dared join them and you think well that's highly surprising seeing as just recently Ananias and Sapphira turned up to a church meeting and didn't get to leave no wonder other people are thinking well I'm not sure about joining this group of people I'm not convinced that it might be a good idea but the Bible tells us even so they were highly regarded by the people. And nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. It's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, if you'd heard about Ananias and Sapphira, I'm guessing you'd think, oh, I'm not sure if I want to be part of this group of people. No wonder people didn't join them. You know, would you sign up to join an organisation where just last week... A couple of people died. But you might actually think twice about it. Verse 11 tells us that great fear had seized the church. No surprise there. But no one else, it seems, dared to join them, we're told. News spreads, doesn't it? This, this, in this day and age, news spreads by social media as well as every other uh, form of media. True news and fake news. But in their time, news like this would have spread as well. There was no getting away from what had happened. But even though people are scared, wondering what's going on, didn't really dare join them, even though that happens, at the same time, more people are being saved, more people are being added to the church, and God is doing quite a remarkable thing. Wonderful, isn't it? and maybe if there'd been any half-hearted Christians around the church before Ananias and Sapphira's experience, I'm guessing that shook them up and they took their faith perhaps more seriously. So men and women are being saved in tremendous number. The church is growing at an incredible rate. Miracles were an everyday occurrence. So much so, we're told in verse 15, that as a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Peter's shadow? Reread I mean, this and think, what's all that about? Do you know what, do you, that's what I think when I read it. Am I just very unusual? Don't have to answer that question. <laughs> hey, what's this about Peter's shadow? I, mean, I guess it's similar to... Um, it's you know, a Paul's handkerchief that you also <laughs> reads of, Or Jesus' cloak that people were trying to hold on to. Hold on to associating with things that belong to those who perform miracles. I mean, does this mean we should start a healing shadow ministry? Because we read them? no, <laughs> because he reads it in scripture. Or maybe healing hankies. There's probably a website in there, there's that. Healinghankers.com there you, 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 know, you can sort that one out. I don't think so. Just because we see you know, an example here doesn't mean that we have to copy that exactly. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, just to really mess with our minds, over the years, people have prayed over cloths and taken them to people who were sick. And God has healed them. We're thinking, I don't quite get it. But God works in remarkable ways, doesn't he? Actually, we can't always understand how he works and how it happens. Our brain and mind does not process that in the way that he does. So what's going on? Well, let's be clear. There's no, nothing magical about Peter's shadow or Paul's handkerchief, for that matter. But they did represent something of the person. And that's what people were pushing in for. So let's be clear, shadows or handkerchiefs don't heal anybody in and of themselves. It's God alone who heals. But sometimes, as we've said, he uses unusual methods. I mean, Jesus would sometimes spit on the ground, make some mud and put it on a person's eyes. Anyone done that lately? Probably not, I'm guessing. Luke doesn't specifically say whether people are healed by Peter's shadow or not, but the implication is they may well have been. So all seems to be going well. People are being healed, saved, set free, church growing, advancing. All seems good. Then we get to verse 17. Pick up your Bibles once again. We'll read some more verses together. Then the high priest and all his associates who are members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they'd been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But When we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exhorted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honoured by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed and all his followers were dispersed and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So the apostles now are arrested and put in jail is this over is this the end of things well as we've already seen no it's not and it's great isn't it as straightforwardly as luke has recorded the believers sharing their possessions or peter preaching the gospel he now says but during the night an angel of the lord appeared an angel of the lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out just a sort of simple sentence, almost a throwaway comment. During the night, an angel comes, lets him out, and he carries on. It's so matter of fact, isn't it? Oh, just it just happened overnight. An angel came, let them out. We could so quickly overlook it, so quickly jump onto the next thing. Don't do that. We, we see here that God is at work. He really is. There's persecution and an angel is dispatched to open some prison doors and to rescue the apostles. Marvellous, isn't it? But this is not a guarantee of angelic rescue from all persecution, as indeed we will see throughout our journey through Acts. God comes to the prison, sometimes to set free, always to be with. And in this occasion, an angel comes to the prison and sets them free. Last time, in in chapter 4, they were kept in overnight. On this occasion, they're set free. And this time, they're arrested, freed by an angel, brought back before the Sanhedrin, and flogged. God is clearly with them. But he doesn't rescue them from every situation. So the angel brought them out of the prison, but they ended up being flogged the next day. But Jesus is with them in the same way that Jesus is with you. No matter what situation or circumstance you find yourself in, even today, even this morning, Jesus promises always to be with you. And if this morning you feel like you're trapped in a prison, if you feel that circumstances are pressing in against you from every side and you're not really quite sure where to turn, the promise of Jesus is this, Matthew 28, verse 20. And surely I'm with you always, to the very end of the age. Always, says Jesus always and so the Lord is with them in the jail in their toughest place and hardest circumstance where they can't see a way out for themselves God comes to them on this occasion the angel sets them free but on every occasion God comes to you and is with you in that situation Just as I was preparing this week and praying over this passage, I I really felt that applied to some of you, particularly this morning. You need to hear it, that God is with you. And it might feel like a prison. It might feel like circumstances are pressing in against you from every side. You might feel it's dark and you don't know which way to turn. God's promise to you is this. He is with you. He really is. He promises it. And you know what? He's faithful to his promise. Jesus doesn't change. He said that he'll be with you always to the end of the age. Well, that means now. That means in your situation, in your circumstance, in your trial, in your hardship, Jesus. Promises to be with you every time. Every time. I just want to pray before we move on to this. The next thing I want to say, I just feel to to wait on this for a moment. Thank you, Lord. you need to know the Lord with you in your situation. Just raise your hands where you are. I'm going to pray. God, I want to pray right now for my friends. (laughs) I pray, God, that they would know your presence right now in the situation and circumstance that is before them. God, would you come in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that whatever the situation, trial is. Lord, I pray that they would know your goodness and your faithfulness. Father, we pray for some angelic visitation and prison-busting activity. And we also pray for your presence and your goodness and your faithfulness. In Jesus' name. Amen. So what we have here in Acts chapter 5 is gospel advance and persecution. Gospel advance and persecution. And it seems like gospel advance, the miraculous, and persecution go together. I read an article this week by an Egyptian Christian, the headline of which was, don't pray for persecution to stop, says this. An Egyptian Christian has said that when people pray for persecuted Christians, they shouldn't pray for the persecution to stop. Michael Jones, whose name has been changed, obviously for safety purposes, told Premier he does not believe praying for an end to Christian persecution is biblical. He goes on, rather, I would ask my brothers and sisters in the UK, listen to this, to pray for the church of Egypt to stand strong through those persecution winds, to shine for Jesus more than any time in our history. He admitted it's very hard to live life in in Egypt as a Christian. He said many are afraid after churches have been the victims of violent attacks. What does he ask us to pray for? Pray that they might stand strong. Pray that they might stand strong. Now, I've heard of Chinese Christians saying the same thing. And they had recognized that gospel advance and persecution has gone together. And again, they would say, pray that we will be faithful. Pray that we will be able to stand and stand firm. Amazing, isn't it? Such a challenging statement. I find it interesting Going back to this passage in Acts, that after, re- after rescuing them, the angel gives them a charge. Do you notice that? Verse 20. The angel says to them, go, stand in the temple courts and tell the people all about this new life. After he's rescued them from what's put them in jail... He tells them to go back and carry on doing the same thing that got them in jail in the first place. I think there's something for us here, friends. Now, when circumstances hinder what you're called to, and then they change, don't run away. Get back to what God has called you to. That's exactly what they did. They landed up in jail because of their preaching. And An angel sets them free and says, now you're free, don't run off. Go back and carry on doing what you were doing. Carry on doing what God has called you to. So often we might think, oh, I'm out, I'm going to leg it. Go to a place of safety. Go to, you know, go to a quiet place. Get to the beach, whatever it might be. <laughs> what do they do? They go straight back. Straight back, right into the fire. And they find themselves again before the authorities. When circumstances hinder what you're called to, and then they change, don't run away. Get back to what God has called you to. So we get to a few verses on. And we see that they are choosing to obey Jesus. They're choosing now to obey Jesus. They say, don't they? Peter and the Apostles replied in verse 29, we must obey God rather than human beings. They knew who was in charge of their life. So let me ask you a question. Who's in the driving seat of your life? Who's in charge? Who's deciding where you're going to go? What's going on? For Peter and the other apostles, they were clearly being led by the Holy Spirit at every turn. At every turn. The question for us is, are we? Are we? And then they go on and we find that they're rejoicing in suffering. They're rejoicing in suffering. Verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin after being flogged, rejoicing that they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for Jesus. In the UK right now, we are unlikely to have to suffer persecution in the same way. But as we've already seen, it's not the same deal for our Christian brothers and sisters all around the world it may not, I want to suggest, always be the same for us. Whilst the um, basis of our laws and our heritage in this country is Christian, I think you'd find it quite hard to call the UK a Christian country these days. Evangelical Christians are in a minority. I'm not saying we always have it easy. I I know that we don't. I am saying we might not always have it as good as we've got it now. Persecution is a daily reality for millions of Christians right around the globe. One day it might be our reality too. Perhaps not in a physical way, maybe in a discriminatory way. I don't know. But one day it might be more our reality than it is now. You see, the apostles are clear. When they suffer, it's for the glory of God. They knew that to be true. And even if you don't need to know that right now, can I suggest that it's a lesson that we need to learn right now in order that if we need to know it in the future, it doesn't come as a surprise. We need to learn it. It's a bit too late. We need to learn the lesson now. So I want to encourage us to pray for our Christian brothers and sisters around the world who are facing such things. But as we begin to draw into a conclusion, let's realize that blessing and beatings were a reality for the early church. They went together. Blessings and beatings went together. We read Acts and we go, wow, we want that blessing Want that sort of gospel advance and growth and miraculous and healings and salvation. God, we want all those things. But the early church knew that together with blessing came persecution. We don't quite so quickly ask God for that, do we? We're going to pray for ourselves in a moment and that's right that we do that but I'd also love us to pray for our Christian brothers and sisters around the world who are facing such persecution even now. According to Open Doors UK, more than 200 million believers in the 50 countries where it's most difficult to be a Christian experience high levels of persecution because of their faith. In the period which ran from uh, November 2016 to October 2017, over 3,000 Christians were killed for their faith more than twice as many as the previous reporting period. And each of the top 11 World Watch list countries are now classed as places of extreme persecution. More countries than ever before in the 26 years they've been doing this piece of research. And yet again, North Korea is number one, but only just there are others catching up. So, I'd like us to pray for our Christian brothers and sisters in those sort of situations. And then, in a moment, I feel that like we want to land some of these things we've talked about and pray for one another. But before we pray for ourselves, I think it would be good to pray for others. Can we do that? So, can we, class, just we stand? I'd love us to pray together out loud. Let's pray for our Christian brothers and sisters right around the world that even today are facing severe persecution. Let's ask God to be with them. Let's pray that they would remain faithful in the trial and they would know God's presence, providing his peace and all that they need. Is that okay? So can we lift our voices here? Let's all pray out together and ask that God would be with them.